Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Good evening everybody, I hope you're all well, thank you for joining us. Um, tonight we have a super special show for the Royal Marines Corps birthday. Um, I'm Chris Rule. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. Da da da! <laughs> and yeah, here's a bit about me. I guess I'm one of, one of these people that likes running. It's always really kept me on the straight and narrow. In October 2018, former British Royal Marine Chris Thal set out to run 999 miles across the United Kingdom to support the Bataan charity and raise awareness of issues surrounding veteran mental health and veteran suicide. One day, I was sat at the computer and I thought, has anyone ever run, run the length of the UK? And I came across one guy that, that had done it and his story had been written up in a newspaper. I thought, do you know what? I'd really, really like to do that. Not just for the run. In, in fact, the run was probably the, the, the least part of it. I was more interested in setting myself such a challenge, spending time on my own, and camping in a sort of an idyllic spot every night, or at least that was the that was the plan. So I thought, yeah, I'll run the length of the UK. So I decided I'm going to run solo, as in just myself. I'm going to be unsupported, as in I'm not going to have a crew with me. I'm going to carry all my own equipment so I can camp as and when I need to. And I'm going to run an ultramarathon a day. And just as I decided to do that, and just as I started to get my equipment together, I popped a disc in my spine. And it was uh, next to kidney stones, it was the most painful thing I'd ever experienced. I phoned my surgeon and I just begged him, Could, is, is there any way you can kill this last bit of pain? He gave me a swift operation. I had still had significant back pain. I had brain damage from all the medication that I'd had to take when I was in extreme pain. I put them to my partner and said, you know, should I really be doing this? And she said, Chris, you'll do it. And that was it. To see her belief in me at a time where I wasn't even sure myself, that just told me, yeah, I will, won't I? I'll do it. A big part of it was I wanted to show people what the human body and the human mind's capable of how if you set your goals, you should just follow them through and not, and not let anything or anybody deter you. There hasn't been a single footstep I've taken on this journey that hasn't been thoroughly enjoyable. I'm gonna do it for a veterans charity. I want to raise awareness of this alarming rate of suicide we've got amongst our veterans at the moment. If I have to crawl an ultramarathon a day, I'll, that's what I would do. I wanted to put the message out there to veterans who are struggling as, as I had, that there's all, always a light. So long as you look within, you dig deep, change maybe a few of your paradigms, be prepared to change, you can achieve anything. 
Okay, friends, thank you for bearing with us. That was just a little bit about me and what my kind of relationship is to, to um, not just to veterans' mental health, but obviously to mental health in general, which is a massive issue at the moment. I think with everything that's going on, it's going to be uh, an increasing problem. Um, so thank you for joining us tonight. I have an amazing guest uh company sergeant major tony phipps and i go back a long way um this is a man who's lived about 20 lifetimes <laughs> in one um, tony never ceases to amaze me he's always on the ball he's always smashing it he's always working towards his goals um but also i think like many of us he's had challenges Tony's seen a lot of combat and the reason I've invited him on the show tonight is that he's come up with an amazing app, um, hopefully to support veterans who are struggling. So let me just show you a bit about Tony. Go silent, like make a quiet area, but um, there's a lot of suicide bombers. You can't let your guard down to world and skills. You need to be uh, up to speed. How are you, friend? Uh, How are you, mate? Good, mate. Thanks for having me on, and happy birthday, Royal. <laughs> happy birthday, Royal Marines, Sea Soldiers. Yes, it's um, I think we're the very few people in the country, mate. We get two birthdays a year. I know, I know. It's all good, isn't it? We we just don't get the presents in in in, in bed twice a year. <laughs> Brooke, hello, Brooke in the chat. Thank you for your donation. Brooke's one of my um managers on the bought the t-shirt podcast great to see you mate i was just trying to call you and um it's good to see you in the chat so tony my god um as i said in the introduction you've lived 20 lives mate haven't you <laughs> yeah tw 23 years in the uh in the royal marines um and yeah the course treated me very very well been very lucky very fortunate seen a lot of things um, and irrespective of the challenges I've had uh, and sort of some of it being the best worst days of your life, I would do it all again. Yeah, that's a theme that comes up a lot, doesn't it, in, in mental health circles is um, or it's or, or even life coaching circles as well is your worst challenges as hard as they are at the time are actually it's where you learn, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's where you grow. And, and uh, I believe guys in, in the armed forces, especially in frontline troops, uh, they need to operate 
in that sort of like that that dangerous, scary environment to fulfil and, and keep them sort of like challenged. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? That uh, the, the whole PTSD thing, very misunderstood area of life, very under-researched, under-funded, under-supported, all the, I could go mm. on and on. But one thing that's never taken into account is a lot of us, well, I certainly speak for myself and a, a lot of veterans I've spoken to, you know, we came from challenging upbringings. Yeah. Part of the reason we, we wanted to join the Corps um, to challenge ourselves, to prove that we could be worthy of, of something. And I think certainly speaking for myself, <laughs> that, it, that caught up with me when I left, you know, yeah. Tone, that caught up with me. I'm there on Civvy Street. Uh, it was my choice. Um, but you'd had that umbrella over you. You'd had the salary 24 7 365 health care excitement a team you could rely on and then suddenly you're in civic street and the, the the rules the rules change don't they yeah and and it it doesn't happen overnight it, it creeps up on you one minute you're okay uh and then the next minute you're potentially in a, in a dark place or in a bad place and that hasn't happened so overnight you've almost like creeped into it so you almost don't see it's there until it's too late or you're, you're forced to deal with it or someone deals with it for you. Yeah, and you've seen an awful lot more of the um, the the action than I did, mate. I mean, I did my seven years back, back when we met and that was it. I was happy to, you know, well, I had a business crop up, so it gave me, gave me my sort of golden ticket to to leave but 22 years you that's a long time isn't it yeah i, I mean i think i was and i say that's why i'm i'm, I'm very fortunate i mean i joined in in 89 when you were doing the curry trails you're going to norway you're going around the world doing these different exercises went to iraq went to bosnia uh and, and they were i mean some of the situations there were, were quite cheeky um but then you go to Afghanistan and it's a whole new level it's almost um, everything you wanted from joining up uh, all, all in one box and there's many guys that left before that that uh, really felt like they missed out on something really good because of the action the 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 very kinetic operations and close quarter fighting and having all the assets there uh, to, to, to do your job. Yeah, it, it, it's that, it's like you say, it's, um, I don't know if paradox is the right word, but we all, that's what, well, it's not all what we joined up for, is it? I mean, I, I joined up because I didn't really have much else in my life. <laughs> you know, I was sort of in and out of unemployment. I, I was an electrician for a while and it was fucking shit. Mm. I hated it. I hated the person I worked for. And there's this glossy recruiting brochures. And my mate, it was my mate that gave me the kind of nudge to, oi, you couldn't do this. And I was like, yeah, I could. 
Yeah. I hadn't really thought of the... Well, I mean, I tried getting the RAF and they... <laughs> like a lot of us, they wouldn't have me. Um, but once you're in and you've done all that training, you you do want to put it to use, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're part of... You're part of... And, and it's right, you're part of a brotherhood, you're part of a community with the lads. So if you think about it, you join the core... And we go to places that's either minus 45 or plus 45 or 100% humidity. And, and that's all the places you seem to go. And you think, why would I want to do that? But you're always smiling because you're, you're with the lads. Do you know what I mean? You're all in it together. And, and that's what you look back on. You don't remember the, the, the shit times. You remember, the, you remember the crazy good times that people on City Street would think, why, why, are you, why are you doing that? Why are you in an environment where... Just to stand out there for more than a couple of minutes, your eyeballs would, would freeze. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's it's it takes a certain kind of of character to be in the military, and, and especially in the core with some of the uh, taskings that we were given and achieved quite quite well. Mm. Did you do the Belfast, Tony? I can't remember. No, I I I, I didn't know. All right, because that was my. What can you say? When I was in training and they said, choose which unit, I went 4-2 are going to Northern Ireland. I want that one, right? Because yeah. I think part of the reason was um, if I was going to be in the Marines, I wanted to do the job at least once in my life, you know? I wanted to have that experience. Um, yeah. But then I met people, I won't say their names, but I, I know that you know Stevie V, who was ML, that was also yeah. SBS... And I bumped him into him in the pub, <laughs> and uh, we were in Belfast together. And that was a lot went off on that tour, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a real eye opener. It was just a freaking eye opener. Things going bang quite quite yeah. regularly. I mean, we were we were bombed, we were mortared, we were sniped at. Um, we lost Gilly, obviously, uh, in in a very short space of, uh, of of being there. But then I bumped into Steve in the pub, and he's like, "Sierra Leone, Chris, that's where it was happening." <laughs> he's like, "He said, if you think Belfast was was hectic, yeah. he said Sierra Leone. He says like you wouldn't. He said it was everything you joined up. Um, yeah. yeah. And so when you say Afghanistan, yeah, I can." I can believe it. Can we can we just peel back to your air defence days because Yeah. That's I'm reading this book at the minute. Don't know if anyone can see that. It's Afghanistan the Bear Trap. Yeah. It's by um a Pakistani gentleman called Mohammed Yousaf. Yeah, Mohammed Yousaf. Um and it obviously he's writing about the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, the Mujahideen were were the rebel fighters who fought against the um, the Soviets. I say rebel, I mean they obviously lived in Afghanistan. Um, yeah. I, but they were separate from the government, if I understand it right. They had the yeah. government troops, then you had Mujahideen. That's right, yeah. Um, heavily funded and, and controlled by America through their CIA. CIA providing with stinging missiles. Yes, yeah. that's what I wanted to say because they talk about the blowpipe. 
that the British tried to sell the blowpipe to the Mujahideen. Yeah. And apparently it was really shit. <laughs> yeah, and it was a shit idea probably to try to sell them. And I used to teach um, uh, air defence, uh, as did Pete, Pete Harvey, who's, who's, who's listening tonight. Uh, and, and he'll back me up on this. We struggled to get the guys to fire uh, blowpipe when it when it first came out. So trying to give it to a uh, Afghan uh, mujahideen to try and uh, fire with a with a two page instruction book. Uh, no chance what whatsoever. Uh, you need you needed a certain skill set and maintain it. Whereas Stinger was was fire and forget, fire off the shelf and fire and let go. So for our friends at home, Tone, what's What's the role of air defence? What do they do within the Royal Marines? Air defence um, was uh, provided uh, low-level air defence for free commander brigade. So that was, that enabled um, us to move forward with commando companies or provide to support for direct actions or support uh, at HQs uh, at, that, that, at that low level, integrated with army units of um, what was then uh, rapier. So it was, it seemed like a good, um, a good draft. You got to do a lot of stuff, didn't you? Yeah, it, it was a fantastic draft because it, in reality, um, we'd always have air superiority. So the chances of us, although we did in the Falklands, you used it in anger and, and we had limited success with that. Um, the chances of us being properly deployed in that role was was very slim the americans we'd always piggyback off the back of them during operations and they would always have uh air superiority uh and the air defense systems that would integrate uh, on operations as well would uh, supersede that so in effect we would probably be used uh for helos popping up here and there but ne never come to fruition so the reason why it was a good draft is because we would end up having more of a, a gd role uh so yeah it was good yeah so again for our friends at home air defense troop were based down in plymouth yeah down at stonehouse yeah they were yeah. kind of very much um uh what can i say like a force of their own you know they yeah, very very insular looked after each other and uh yeah good yeah. good 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 bunch of guys that would uh once you're an air defender, you dip in and out, but you was always an air defender and then invariably come come back to the troop. Did so, you get to go to the jungle with air defence, Tony? No, I, I didn't, but they had, they had a cracking, cracking time out there. In fact, I did. I did a Brunei with them, um, which uh, was, which exercise was that? It was the one that 40 did, Brunei. But yeah, yeah it, was a, it, was a, it was a cracking time. Mm. And... It's kind of, you know, things got really real, didn't they, round from Afghanistan? We started to lose. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, air defence ended up being um, taken on the roll as the second BRF, Brigade Wrecking Force Troop, and we were named as India Company. Uh, and, and the role was fantastic. A uh, load of Wimics going out into the desert. Um, and basically having free range to find enemy targets uh, down in the Garmasir area. Um, but I suppose the, the challenge was when we wasn't doing that, we were up in Lashkagar, which is the, the capital of Helmand. And that was a different environment. So you were patrolling around the town in Snatch, 
Land Rovers, which weren't having good press because they were seen as not providing enough protection. Uh, and we had a, a UK government organisation within our camp that would tell us how many suicide bombers were in the area at any one time. And even if there were six or seven, you were still going out on patrol because you, you had a job to do and you couldn't let that stop you. It's serious, isn't it? it it's... Yeah, yeah. It's funny what... It's, it's just funny, isn't it, what British soldiers... I'm talking about soldiers because they're the boots on the ground. I'm not trying to yeah. dis dismiss the other forces, but yeah. I remember the our last few weeks in Belfast and, we, you know, you'd made it that far. Everyone was looking forward to going home. And then we got this bit of intelligence through that the IRA, <laughs> I, I, I don't think this is accurate at all, but the intelligence was the IRA had bot bombs in every other lamppost, you know, IEDs. Yeah. And I remember my last week in Belfast, I just walked down the middle of the road. <laughs> I literally walked down the middle of the traffic, you know, still yeah. like moving from side to side constantly to, in, in case of snipers. Yeah. But in Afghanistan, I mean, these local fighters, they just know the ground so well. And they, yeah. can, they can lay anything in wait for you, can't they? It's, it's, it's that, but it's also they're not afraid of, of, of dying. So I remember uh, one brief that we had and we were told, I know there's four or five suicide bombers within town. Um, and I think a, a guard had caught one or managed to disarm one uh, that, had a, that had a weapon. But he had, and this was quite a common theme from the, from the suicide bombers that come up from Pakistan, he had 10 kilos of plastic, plastic explosives wrapped around him with ball bearings pushed in, he'd put a shirt on him, uh, and you would not know he he, he was there. So they were um, looking around, looking for a target, and you were also operating in in that same same area, and, and you had to do it, and you, and and you did do it, and you and you and you did it well. Unfortunately, um, on on one day, um, my counterpart, um, I won't say his name, but. Um, one of us was going out to the desert. One of us was going into town. It was me that went out into the desert and the, the commander that went into town. He was driving his snatch uh, past a corner where it had some school kids on it. And there was a suicide bomber that stood in amongst those kids. And uh, as, as the patrol went past, he, he detonated. And uh, that's when we lost our, our first guy. Took, took the jaw off him. Uh, he died. And the commander... The barbarian went straight through the snatch door, ricocheted around his legs, and uh, and he he was thrown back to the UK. So that happened within the first few weeks, and and that made it real. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. You, you hear the noise, you see the Chinooks flying from Bastion, uh, and it's a real reality check. And then the next day, you stood there giving a brief, saying to the guys, "We're going out on a foot patrol." Because you, you can't let them in. Do you know what I mean? And and you did it, and and the guys did it. But inside, you're thinking. Fucking hell! Do you know what I mean? Is, is is it really worth it? And I think later on in life, you reflect on that and realise the actions you took, the average person wouldn't took, and and rightly so. But those those dits don't don't come for free. Do you know what I mean? And I think it just tends to eat, eat away at you. Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to think of the the timings, mate, because I just wanted to give Brad a mention while we're chatting. 
Yeah. Because, um, again, for our friends at home, Brad was a friend of me and Tony. Um, we we knew him very well. Yeah, I was in training with him, wasn't I? Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So Brad was this, um, he was actually English, but had lived in Canada a long time. So he came across as a Canadian and got loads okay. of shit from it. <laughs> and Brad was like the kind of most alpha male guy <laughs> you could meet. And the thing I used to love about, well, I actually went and stayed with his family in Canada for a hot, for a, for about three weeks. Okay. Um, I was going to go with Brad and at, at the last minute he went to see his, his wife at the time who was living, who was a model in Florida. Yeah. And I said, can I go and see your family on my own? And he was like, yeah, man, they'll love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I just li literally rocked up at bloody Cal was it Calgary at the airport and um, his sister came to meet. I think I got a, a short flight to Edmonton. His sister come and picked me up. And that was it. And the the family treated me like the long long lost son. Yeah. Um, and the thing I loved about Brad is he just didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a real quality I try and carry yeah. to this day. Um, if you fuck with him, he just say fuck you yeah. <laughs> and give give it back. And then of course, I remember you telling me that. Brad's dead, and he'd yeah. been he'd been um, killed as a security. Um, what do you call it? Private security. Yeah, yeah. In yeah, Mosul, a, wasn't it yeah. Iraq? Well, he had a he had a I believe he had a, a client. They were staying in a hotel, and um, I think the driver asked directions at the reception uh, on where the water hydrant or electro electro plant was. And they give them directions. And I think that the reception guy um, tipped off some insurgents and they ambushed uh, Brad uh, off, off a roundabout in the times where they were soft-skinned uh, Hilux, Hilux vehicles. So killed, dragged out and burnt, unfortunately. Yeah, I've heard little bits and pieces from, from different people. Again, for our friends at home, so they were leading a, a client to this. This um, what was it? Was it a, 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 a what was it like a petrol plant or something? Or a... I think it was an electro plant. I electro... think the, 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 the client was going to go and do a survey there, and, and Brad's uh, was going to give protection for the day while he was there. Uh, and it, it just seemed like a routine, a routine patrol. But um, yeah, it's 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 poor drills like that. Uh, that, that basically got got them killed. Yeah, and he was with another former Royal Marine. Yeah, chap called Chris, wasn't it? And and yeah. as they were on their way to this plant, they got ambushed by. I I just heard of seventeen pickup trucks full of. Yeah. Rebel fighters and. Yeah. Um, they had time to lay up and, and and wait for them on the route that the uh, that the reception guy had given them. Yeah, yeah, and they, and I heard that Andy or, or or Brad, they, they cut them off, and the client the client was okay. That he, yeah, yeah, and the two of them were 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 shot dead. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, God, that was um, that was a shocker, mate. You know. 
Yeah, it's, it's almost a reality check to to highlight how fragile life is. I mean, you know, as well as I do, he was the life and soul of the far party. Uh, and, and to go like that makes you uh, realise, you know I mean, how fragile like life is. Yeah, yeah, it was in, insane. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, you, you, it's not like you these things aren't a possibility of course they are if you live by the sword you you know yeah. what does it say live by the sword die by the sword it yeah. was just that it was brad <laughs> yeah. was just such yeah. a such a face yeah um and then i was watching one of these um documentaries on private on private security um i think it was centered on blackwater right yeah and suddenly this pretty girl pops up on the screen and she's talking about her husband who's been shot dead and it was brad's wife yeah she was a tv reporter wasn't she is was on the guns guns for hire yeah yeah and then they 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 the the camera or the the scene shot to this dead body on the ground yeah by the burnt out yeah Hilux. yeah i'm um, Pretty sure that was Andy. I'm sure. Yeah, right, it was. Yeah, because he talks about how he was shot and dragged out. So, yeah, gosh, yeah, that knocked me for six a bit, mate. That did, yeah. really. Um, yeah, my gosh, life, <laughs> life is precious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and and, and guys uh, that 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 go into the private security industry, they're, they're coming from a place where I mean they've had decent kit. That they've now got armored vehicles. They've got assets to protect them, uh, and if they get in the ship, they're going to get dragged out and supported by air or a, a QRF, uh, and that doesn't always translate to the the private security industry uh, because you don't know who who's going to support you, the quality of the guy, um, and that reflects in the in the wage, the good wage that they used to get. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that pr private security with respect to politics, isn't there? Like, like deaths of private security guards don't—they're not counted as official deaths. No. Um, and there can be thousands of operators in country at any one time, can't there? That don't. Yeah. That... Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you remember, I I, I set set up um helps out NSS Go Global, and we would audit private security companies, and we ordered them for. American embassies in light of uh, the Benghazi incident where the uh, ambassador uh, got killed. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah, not, not, not a good place to be. Uh, but guys will chase the money and, and, and always will. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? When you leave and you, you've got this set of skills and you've got to pay your bills. Yeah. And some contract like that comes up or, or the anti-piracy contracts and they're yeah. paying... In the, I mean the piracy thing in in the initial days it was paying like five hundred quid a day or something. Yeah, I was, I was I was on five five fifty a day when I first first started it. <laughs> I bet, yeah. bet you all thought you're going to be millionaires by the yeah, end of the yeah, bloody yeah. two years. But the savvy guys knew that that would be short lived, and 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 it, and it was. Yeah. So going back to Afghanistan, then tone. I mean, you lost some good mates, didn't you? Yeah, we lost lost uh, quite a good good few friends. And I suppose that I highlight, you know, Afghan being very high tempo, very kinetic. 
And one thing that stood out is we had a, um, a bomb disposal guy come over uh, and, and I remember having scram with him and him saying, oh, I think that's a different level here. He said he would be in, in Iraq uh, and they would have a contact out on the ground and it would last, I know, 10 or 15 minutes and it'd be like target to the front or they'd be ambushed from the side or they'd come across an IED at uh, uh, a road junction. And he said, here in Afghanistan, you're getting ambushed 360 uh, and you're getting ambushed for like four or five hours uh, and it's nonstop and you're going to defuse an IED and there's six or seven around that. And he says it's just, it's just next level. So when you think about that and put it in that perspective, you've got to learn to adapt to survive in that, in that environment when, it's, when, it's, when they're watching you over a period of weeks and months, looking at your habits and working out how, how, how they're going to take you out. So you've got, to, you've got to just adjust your game every single day. Yeah, it's, I don't know if I should say this, but it's it's almost like it's, it's a battle you can't win, is it? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly you know, that. The Russians found that out. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, this, this book's amazing. Uh, it, it, it's saying how, you know, if a, let's just say a Western fighter gets injured on the battlefield, within 20 minutes, they're Kazavak, they're on a chopper, they're, they're, they're receiving world-class healthcare, and then within 24 or 40 of hours, they're back in the UK or back in the United States in a top hospital, right? And they're all on, you know, all the right drugs, morphine or whatever. These Mujahideen, they knew if they got tagged, they just had days of agony. Yeah. Strapped on the back of a bloody donkey or something while, while they were taken yeah, across exactly. the, the desert. And then, then the healthcare was pretty rubbish at best. Exactly. You know, they might have to have their, their limb amputated with no anaesthetic or whatever. Yeah. But um, they'd be seen as a hero and then accept that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like it, w- it wouldn't phase them. Yeah, it's it's really interesting this book, mate. Have have you read it, Tom? No, I've I've not read that. I've read the bear come over the mountain, which is, I think is a, a, a similar one, which talks about Russians uh, and Mujahideen operations. Yeah, it's saying how the Mujahideen they didn't like um, what we would call stealth operations. You know, they didn't yeah. they didn't like say say you plan to blow up a bridge or a tunnel. They were like they weren't up for that. They no. just wanted to like full glory charge exactly. it, charge yeah. at the enemy and and you know die and get get their virgins or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah, fascinating. Mm. And to anyone watching, um, that ninth company, nine rota, I think it is in in Russian. I did a little reaction video to it a few weeks ago. That is an amazing film to watch about the Russian. Um, Afghanistan conflict um, but Tony sorry back to you so it's it's funny isn't it because it's funny what perceptions we have of people because I would have said you were like you know made of titanium but of course we're not are we we're all human and stuff catches up with us what and and I only really realized this for i think you did a podcast with someone and you talked about this 
Yeah, I suppose. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I was quite lucky in the core. I got treated well. I, I, I was. I, I deem myself as, as successful. I, I left the core, helped set up a, a very successful company, um, and then overnight, I experienced probably for the first time uh, failure, which which knocked me for six. So um, I wasn't performing well in the business. So put that to one side. Uh, my marriage uh, ended, uh, which which, um, which surprised me. Mum passed away. Um, and it was just like the first time that I'd experienced any kind of real failure. Looking back on it now, I probably learned more from failure than I have from success. So where I'm at now, I, I welcome what um, what lessons I've, I've learned from that. But mm. I couldn't understand why because when things have gone wrong slightly wrong in, in the past and, and and you'll be the same like in the core you find a solution you deal with it sort it out and, and, and you move on with this situation i just could not work out what was going on and i was starting to to go downhill in, in, in many areas so and it wasn't until um i made the decision to take responsibility for myself and and stop and think like what's going on i took myself to to holland to uh, this retreat that worked on worked with this group work uh, and we identified that I had through what I'd seen one of those things was a was a, an Afghan uh, policeman raping a, a 12 year old boy um, and, and I'm part of that compartmentalized stuff which bootnecks uh, and, and, and servicemen are really good at uh, that stuff when you park it, it doesn't disappear it, it, it festers um, and yeah it started to rise to the surface so yeah, uh, rule number one, take, take responsibility for your own mental health and identify where you are and don't ignore it. Because if you do, it, it comes at a peril uh, to yourself and those loved ones around you, which is which is important. What did you study on that course, mate? Uh, it was it was basically uh, identifying what the trauma was uh, and basically releasing it. So you weren't you weren't carrying that load. So the best way I could describe it is it, it was the equivalent of trying to stand in a swimming pool with a basketball and then push it down underwater. The, the more you push it down, the more resistance it is. And at some point, it's just going to explode out of the water and the ball's going to smash you in the face. So people were seeing what I wasn't seeing. Um, I was doing some group work, talking about the stuff that was happening in Afghanistan with no real reaction. Um, and, and people were saying that that's... That's not that's not right. When you look back at it, and that's what I say when you re reflect on the things that you've done, the things that you've seen, um, yeah, it's it it come it, it come at a mental cost. So, but yeah, yeah, we yeah we just we take things on the chin, don't we? That that we just think it's normal. I've been the same, my travels around the world. I got kidnapped in the jungle in South America once, right? By two drug dealers. And, uh, man, it's pitch, pitch black in French, French Guiana, it was. In the jungle, on a road in the middle of the jungle, these two guys got out with knives. And these guys suddenly got all paranoid and thought I was a copper. And they pulled out these fucking rusty knives, right? And I fought them off, Tone, right? <laughs> I fought them off because they wanted my camera. They thought I was, yeah. you know, I was a copper yeah. or something, right? 
and here's the stupid thing this is like bootneck for you that's marines to people at home like I have my photos on my camera. You ain't having them, right? They're my yeah, travel. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought... You have a diet and give it up. Yeah. And I just got my camera. I chucked it into the jungle so they couldn't get it. And then I fought these, I fought these guys. And I, I had a knife in my pocket. And it was just freaking ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it could have gone so wrong. I mean, it, it didn't. So, I'm, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But... To me, that's just like that's life. That's that's quite that's kind of normal, right? And I remember I told this story at a party once, and it didn't get the reaction I thought it would. No, <laughs> I think it, I think it scared people. Yeah. So, but mate, there's there's a there's a there's a question up on the on the on the uh, ticker tape there about asking how partner felt uh being it being the forces um because they'll be going off to, to training soon i suppose in, in in the core um when you're on operations communication back with with, with your loved one actually feel, fills a, a gap for them um and, and often that the partner at home feels more trepidation because they don't know what's going on so when i was married and i'd been scrapping down in garmacia and then I get back and speak to, to, to the wife on the phone. Um, you would just say, yeah, just been down, operations down south. They wouldn't know what was going on. Um, so in some respects, um, it's harder for, for the partner back home at home while you're, while you're away because they don't know what's going on. Yes, very much. Um, yeah, it's a whole funny thing, relationships in the military. Um Fidelity isn't always a word that you can apply to everything. It's almost like when you're, you know, when boys are away, boys will play. I'm not saying that for everyone. There was some, there were some guys I served with were just devoted to their partners, and yeah. that was it. But there was also a big side of it. It was just, yeah. such, it was kind of accepted, wasn't it? That yeah. when you're away, you can play around and yeah. Um, Christ knows what bloody effect that had on families um, and children back home um, can I just I just want to say hello to our brother Jameson uh, James, Jameson's travels in, in the uh, if you're looking at the chat folks um, that's uh, Jameson is our brother from the USMC runs a very or hosts a very successful YouTube channel um, very nice man. So lots of love to you, brother. And thank you for your donation. Really appreciated. Um, yeah, we've got any other questions there? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a good one at the bottom there. Tony, how long was your longest uh, firefighting contact? Uh, do you know what? That one there was two weeks before the end of my tour. We had a, uh, we had a new guy that was battlefield replacement come in. Uh, and you know that saying FNG <laughs> that they used to say in, in Vietnam for the fucking new guy. We had a guy and he looked really, really young. Uh, and obviously five months, five and a half months in, we were very close knit. But this guy come and joined us and his first patrol ended up being the, the biggest scrap of, of the whole tour. And that was his first experience of, of Afghan. We got uh, contacted 
uh, well, we, we went into a place called Babaji and uh, it was a really nice compounds, which is an indication that it's, it's a high developed heroin, poppy growing uh, environment. And basically we got lured in to a center of a village. And uh, when you're out there, your senses sort of like are, are really heightened. So you're spotting stuff that's abnormal within the normal. Uh, so when you get that prickly hair feeling on the back of your neck, uh, you, you trust in it. So I remember moving forward to a village and uh, and seeing some some guys, some women, sort of like running to one side. So I said to the guys, let's let's get out of the vehicles and, we're, and we'll walk through. So all the guys stepped out of the vehicle, put my binoculars, binoculars up and looked into the village and saw a flash and an RPG slammed into the wall uh, beside me about 10 foot, knocked my binoculars uh, to the floor uh, and we were in contact uh, I, I remember at just after midday uh, and we broke contact at uh, half, half past six that night so in, in contact constantly for, for six and a half hours now uh, I tried to call in an Apache but some guide stood on a mine uh, further up near Goresh so there was no support uh, available there so we just had to fight our way our way out um we finally got the apache but we'd been there long enough to know do you know what if you just start vittling up or firing up the ground where these insurgents were firing from you're going to lose the trust uh of of the, of the local population and that started to play a big part in it i was about to leave uh and, and as a unit if you leave after pissing off the locals they're not going to tell you if, and there's an IED down the road there. So of course they call that courageous fire. So I, I didn't call in uh, any, any, any uh, sort of like rounds to, uh, to help us get out, but we fought our way out to the desert and that was like six, six and a half hours. So, Jeez. Yeah. Did you ever get to the point you, you might need a resupply? Yeah, well, we, we did resupply. We did resupply once with um, our other sort of like split call sign that was in the village a couple of clicks further south that had no contact whatsoever. So we had everything and and, and they had, had nothing. Uh, we moved out to the desert uh, and then we moved, actually moved into an area where we had very little mapping. So we had to call back to um, uh, where our, our location was. And I remember our... Uh, our OC uh, managed to talk us on uh, on the route out. But he says you have you have a bit of a problem. It's starting to get dark. He says I'm going to have to try and navigate you around a minefield. <laughs> so yeah, we've been in contact for six and a half hours, and now we had to go across some ground that we hadn't been before uh, around um, uh, around our minefield mm. and, and back in. Did you we did you put? Earplugs in or ear defenders in when you had these contacts? Uh, on, on that particular contact, when we first got hit with the R R RPG, uh, we had two guys. One guy was my driver and the guy that was on the 50 cal uh, on, on the Wimmick that's pumping rounds towards the enemy. When there was a lull in the battle, I had ultrasonic uh, ear defenders in that, that cancelled out, cancelled out the noise, but you can still hear. Uh, once there was a, a lull in the battle and we tried to withdraw slightly, uh, both guys had blood running out, out of the out of their ears. So for those that have fired a GPMG, hell of a racket. You you fire a um, a fifty cal for a sustained period, 
uh, and and you've probably got you've got probably permanent ear ear damage there. Yeah, because that's something that's overlooked, isn't it? In all these war films. Yeah. Going right, hang on, fellas. Just going to put some earplugs in or yeah. put some ear defenders on. Jeez. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's all very real, mate, isn't it? It's all yeah, it, it, it's surreal. Because I mean, it's like you you join up, you think, yeah, this is what I want to do, and then fast forward to 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 that last sort of like patrol and that massive firefight. You've had your initial contact. You've pulled back, and you've got you've got fifteen guys there. You've got Afghan National Army, and they're looking at you, and you're in charge, and you are then making all the next calls to get them out of that safely so those guys can get home safely end of that tour to their to their wives mm. families kids do you know what i mean so it's a hell of a lot of pressure but <clears throat> it's funny you're an exercise for years and years and years firing blanks doing these live exercises and it all makes sense when you're in contact because in amongst this organized chaos you just go into autopilot and you do what you do and, and and you do it well because you've got no choice. Tony, listen, I'm I'm really conscious I don't there's more there's some great questions coming in, but I don't want to forget why um, yeah. why we decided to have this chat, which is your app. So yeah. if maybe we just do a segment, we just talk about that and don't get yeah. sidetracked, and then I can yeah. try and put that out as a separate clip. Yeah, okay. So um what's after it called? Sorry, what's it called? It, it, it's called Man. It's called Man Down UK, um, and basically, through my challenges and understanding what charities do, and I'm not about to put a slag charities down, but some charities during the COVID period um, furloughed those guys, and the support wasn't there for them. Mm. Um, and I think the best measure of the support that guys need is getting the feedback from them. Um, and I understand. And guys are starting to understand, as I said before, it starts with taking responsibility for yourself because there, there is help out there. So what I did is I've had three situations now where I've had to, to do almost like an intervention. I've had a guy in Plymouth that was in a, a, a real dark place, managed to get someone to go and see him. But I've also had two guys that were on the verge of suicide and managed to do an intervention on them by getting someone to them. So I thought, do you know what? If I could, if I could sort of like create an, an app that everyone could put on their phone and do you know what, potentially never ever use it, but have that emergency call button there uh, to use uh, if they couldn't reach out to someone, then if I could save one life, then, then it's worth its weight in gold. Hmm. So what I did is got together with a guy and produced an app that has um, other supporting agencies. So um, I lead on a group called Dudes and Dogs. It's a support group. Uh, where guys meet up, different dog groups, and you go out for a, a chat about what's going on. Walking out in the fresh air, open air environment, provides a safe and safe environment for guys to, to open up about what's going on. Because in most cases, PTS, challenges that guys face, all guys want is, is to be heard. And mm. to sit down and listen to a guy that starts to open up is actually a form of medicine in itself. So... We, we provide that in Dudes and Dogs and Dudes and Dogs military, and it's very successful. And we're about to push out to some of the uh, garrison towns uh, so they can sort of like run their own Dudes and Dogs 
uh, around the country. So that's growing really, really well and proven to be really successful. Mm -hmm. uh, but beside that, we've got an organization called the Official uh, Minds at War, and they are going to um, sort of like man a hotline 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so if a guy is in dire need, feeling suicidal, then he can push his button and get help uh, immediately. So that's on to speak to him, to bring him down back onto solid ground, as, as I call it, or go and see him and intervene and, and take him to a, a place of safety. Uh, and I mentioned about dudes and dogs, military having that support network. You're going to have those guys that uh, potentially have done a few too many Afghan tours and that's going to be a bit too much for dudes and dogs military to handle. So we've got an organization. It's a, um, it's a charity called PTSD resolution. Uh, they, if we recommend them, or if you reach out to them and you're in a really bad place, they will take you on and give you counseling, uh, quick, quick time uh, and support you, um, really quickly. And that is if you're a serving member, if you're forming serving, uh, if you're former serving and you're in prison or if you're on the street, they, they will support you. So that's that's that high level of counselling for guys that have potentially complex PTS. Uh, and, and, and the next level is an organisation called Forces Online. They have like an online hub, like a Zoom call, push a button in the day and you can go in and speak to someone uh, about issues that you have or the support that you need. Now, this, this app is for service men. And the reason is, uh, it's mainly three quarters of men commit suicide and it's men that struggle to talk. Uh, but I understand that in a family unit, if there's a guy suffering with, let's say, PTS, then the, then the, the partner or the children are going to be affected. So we've got a woman called Miriam Garner uh, that's going to support the, the family. So all that... Okay, is all accessible on this app called uh, Man Down UK that should be online uh, tomorrow. We're, we're launching it tonight. Wow! Congratulations, mate. That's um, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. On the cool birthday as well. Yeah, and and that's put together by feedback and understanding. Um, yeah, understanding what what the guys need through my own experiences. And what we'll, what we'll do, Tom, we'll put all the links below this video. So anybody watching now, if you want to know how to access this app or, 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 and, and the other support services Tony's mentioned, that will all be below, below the video. Yeah. What, what's the one bit of advice? Well, one, maybe it's not the right my right way to put it but what what are we saying to people watching this now that are struggling okay um <clears throat> firstly and no one likes to talk about it uh suicide is is never the answer okay um if if you are considering taking your own life you owe it to yourself and your family around you to exhaust every option before taking that choice the chances of you or I being on this planet now is equivalent of two million people stood in one line with a dice that's a trillion sided, all rolling it together and getting the same number. That's that's the chances of me and you being on, mm -hmm. on this planet. 
So, so why would you chuck that away? And, and secondly, the support is there, but you that's struggling need to take responsibility for yourself and, and ask for that help because it, it's there. And that's why, as we've spoken before, the community of being in the armed forces is so important to talk to each other and say, do you know what? I'm not in a good place. And there's no shame in that. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't feel shame in, in talking about my, my near suicide tendencies uh, or the dark place that I went to because I've come through that and I'm in a far stronger place and a far successful place now than I was before because I took ownership of where I was, accepted the help and grew for that. Do you know what I mean? What don't, what don't kill you makes you stronger. And I, and I think that's true. Yeah. Gosh. I w it's like there's things I want to say, but I don't really know how to phrase them. Um, I think a lot of people struggle because they've gone through their lives with what they perceive, perceive as this set of rules mm. that makes you a good person or, or, or not within this framework. And I'm kind of lucky because I, I, I've just always been a rebel and I've always been independent and I couldn't give a fuck. Seriously, I, I couldn't give a fuck what other people do with their lives that, that that's their lives i'm gonna live mine right yeah and and that's not to say that i haven't been to some bad places but even at my darkest point i'm still like ah fuck off <laughs> i'm just i mean the doctors give me this load of medication <laughs> i lifted up the bin and i just threw it all in the bin right yeah. i was that like no i haven't got a problem the fucking world's got a problem right but i appreciate not everybody's um appreciate not everybody's like that i i would say i wish the military community the veterans community could be more soft around the edges than it is yeah i think there's a lot of old school mentality right you know we got guys they're fucking dying of drug overdoses they're they're, they're drinking themselves to, to death that i mean that happened last literally literally last week i've had my two best friends now one of them a veteran uh drink themselves to death this last couple of years and you know people have got to get the bug out of their ass and realize that veterans we have problems too you know yeah. and, it, and it's yeah. fine to fucking talk about it and it and it's and it's and it um it the reason i'm saying this is when you're struggling, you should just be able to go to your oppos for support. Yeah. But if your oppos are the ones on social media all slagging off people with drink problems or exactly. you know, drugs, then, yeah. then how the fuck are they ever going to go to you, you know? Yeah. Um, sorry, Tony, I'm just going off on one there. No, no, that. that's but, true. And, and it's, it goes back to what I said. In, in many cases, the solution is the guy's just speaking to be heard in that, in that safe environment. Um, so, and through the latest figures through uh, veterans against suicide i believe the suicide rates for 2020 at the moment currently stand at 65 so and that's at 65 far too many so what, what's what's the missing link because with all those big charities out there um something is, is being missed and i feel it's that it's that low level community 
guys talking, releasing that pressure release valve to uh, to to be heard in that safe space and, and understood. And then on a personal level, I say it again, taking responsibility for where you are and then seeking that help that, that's available and out there because it is out there. It definitely is. Yes, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, Tony, are you okay to answer a few more questions yeah. and then yeah. we'll... We'll uh, we'll call this one a night. Yeah. And we'll call Endex, as we used to say. <laughs> um, Tony, thank you ever so much for your donation, mate. Re really, really appreciated. So, um, yeah, this is a question I, I wanted to ask you. Did you ever think of going SF? I, I did. Uh, and I, I, I got to the hills. Um, and if you've got a, a niggling doubt in your head, you, you will take yourself off it. Uh, and I did, I don't know if it's the right time for me at that time, it obviously wasn't, but when I go forward to be in operations, I actually fulfilled what I wanted to do in regards to the roles I had and glad I, I didn't go SF because I, I valued, uh, work-life balance relationships. And I think in SF, uh, that's the hit you have to take because you're away all the time. Yeah. What have we got here? Um, which sport helped prepare you for your military experience? Okay. I, drinking. I yeah, <laughs> drinking. Do you know what? I wasn't one of these that would go to the gym or go and do some program. I just looked at the, the gym tests that you would do within the core uh, and I just practiced them. So I ran, I did press ups, I did pull ups and I would just do um, you, you, you press ups, pull ups, running, burpees and, and the stuff that you were told that you'd be tested on in your PRC. Hmm. So no weights and just that. And and that, that's what got me, got me through. Yeah, I get asked a lot by young people, especially like on, on Instagram. Um, Chris, I've, you know, I want to do the PRC or I've got, I've passed, what, what, what should I do? And I just say, do what they tell you to do. Yeah. That's it. They, they will tell you what yeah. you need to do. There's, yeah. If you're, not... if you're getting measured on how many pull-ups you do, then practice doing pull-ups. <laughs> yes. Impulse. Um, and you don't even have to really do a huge, I mean, you have to, basically be able to run a bit and do the pull-ups that they ask you and and the reason I say that is I did hardly any <laughs> probably to my detriment I just joined up I think I ran around Burrator Reservoir about like six times or something and yeah, sometimes it. it's best going in blind as well sometimes because you don't know what to expect and you just depending on your character you just deal with it don't you what was your hardest bit in training um, Did you have a I found, commando I found, test that was like particularly hard? I, I, I found Tarzan, Tarzan assault quite, quite hard. Um, I, I don't know why. I think it's because it's such a blowout um, from 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 start to finish. I found my nine miler endurance course thirty miler uh, quite quite easy. Saying that thirty miler um, was was a challenge. And, and as 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 wing sergeant major for CTC, I do uh, the last twenty miles of a thirty miler every every two weeks. And uh, one thing I'd say to the recruits as they were hanging out their ass, I would say to them, "Do you know what? This thirty miler 
being the last test isn't um, a test of your fitness. It's a, it's a uh, an experience to take you to a place that you've not been before to know how much you can do. So when you're when you're about to key over uh, and think you haven't got another mile in you, you know you've got another ten in you, and and they saw that. And I think thirty mile is a, is a cracking experience to make guys realise what they can achieve. And that's why you get some guys that break down in tears once they finish the 30 miler. Uh, one, because it's honking. Uh, and two, <laughs> it makes them realise that their potential, which they didn't th think they had during it. There's so nice. much to lose. If you, if you fail the 30 miler on uh, a Wednesday, you're actually doing it again on the Saturday or, or, on, the, uh, on the lanes around CTC. Yes, my gosh. It's hard to... Yeah, I'd love to give it all a go now. I really would. Because I found it so hard back when I was 18. When I was 18 <laughs> and 19. God, I found, I found it so hard. And yet, I find running so much easier. <laughs> easier now. I don't know about having all that wet web, soaking wet webbing on and doing the endurance course, but... I would love to give it all a. I'd love to give it all another go. Yeah. So, um, Christopher, wow, massive thank you. Um, very generous donation there. Really much, much appreciated. It all helps the channel. Um, yeah, nice, nice one, Christopher. So, what else have we got here? I think think we're about there oh all right one last question then for tony what are the best trades in the royal marines Oof, trades i suppose i suppose it depends what you what your goal is isn't it uh in our day you would want to stay what's known as gd as much as you could which is general duties where you didn't have a trade but you were sort of like um front line uh doing everything that you joined up for um but if you wanted to be a mechanic, then I suppose a mechanic would set you up for for when you when you when you leave the leave the core. So it, I suppose it depends on what your long term plan is. Uh, but most guys have a plan on doing something and then end up just joining the core for the experience and the trade and tools that they get on a personal level enables them to do most things when when they come out and be successful. Yeah, I think looking back. With my mindset now, which is obviously easy to do, it, gosh, you'd have to go SF. I don't know if that's because of all the TV programs that they do now about that sort of stuff, but I'm, I reckon getting pinged for a SIGS course if you didn't want to do it must just be... It's almost like getting sent to prison. I'm yeah. not saying it's a bad trade. I'm sure it... I'm, you know... Signalers, absolutely one wonderful guys and girls, but um, if it's just that thing, isn't it? If you don't want to do something, I wouldn't mind getting sent on a ship, which which I which I was lucky to have done. Yeah. Um, but to go on a course that I didn't want to do, or to be a chef, it, it's <laughs> it's just that thing, isn't it? It's like not what you joined up for, but it kind yeah. of is. It is kind of what you joined up for because it's it's all all the trades in the Marines. So, yes, right. Um, Tony, thank you for your donation. I can't remember if I said thank you, but so kind. 
Um, Brooke, Brooke is, uh, helps me manage the channel. Can I just say thank you, massive, massive thank you to Tony Fitz RM and Chris RM. <laughs> it's a long time since I was an RM, but it's, it, it, it I do appreciate that, Brooke. Thank you. Um, yes, absolutely, absolutely great. So, to finish off, Tony, massive thanks to you, mate. Much love to you and yours. Um, you've just shown us all a side of the military that, that probably most people are never going to hear mm. about. Massive congratulations on your mental health app. Yeah, Let me you. know if there's anything I can do to... Um, to promote it or, or whatever, or come back on the show and yeah. and it, it, whenever when it, whenever you need something done, just 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 let me know. Thanks for having us on. Ah, oh, pleasure, pleasure. Mm. Um, so, what I will say is, Tony, don't stay don't stay on the line because I'm going to play all my outro stuff. But I'll, I'll give okay. you a, a, a bell tomorrow to everybody at home. Thank you for the donations. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the channel. If you can like and subscribe, brilliant. And uh, that leaves me one thing to say, which is happy birthday to the Royal Marines. Happy thank birthday, you, Tony. Bro. Cheers, thank you. Cheers, cheers. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris Doctoral. Thank you.